Well, hey everybody, it's me, Doug, coming to you once again from my house. I was really hoping I was all done recording sermons at home, but here we are. Most of you know that I tested positive for COVID-19 this week, and I'm currently in quarantine. And I have no symptoms at this point. I'm thankful for that. But I'm praying for others I know who have tested positive and do have symptoms. And this is such a trying time for so many reasons. But I am grateful that I still have this chance to share with all of you today. And I'm also grateful that we've made it to the month of December, because that means 2020 is almost over. We got a new year just around the corner. And I'm sort of kidding about that, but it really is good to be here in the Christmas season. I always like this time of year, but it feels like all of us especially need Christmas this time around. And I'm also enjoying this Evergreen series, which gives us a very different look at Christmas. We started this series last week, and we're going to keep coming back to this theme of trees. Trees are kind of a big deal at Christmas, but they're also a big deal in the Bible. We see that in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. We also see it in Revelation with the Tree of Life. And this theme of trees really shows up all over the Bible. But during this Evergreen series, we're focusing on a different kind of tree. We're taking a closer look at the family tree of Jesus. And we can see that tree in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew introduces the story of Jesus with a genealogy, a list of names. Now, if you are not familiar with the people on this list, it's not very interesting. It's kind of like looking at an old black and white photo where you don't recognize anyone. I'll give you an example. I want to show you this photo, and I highly doubt you'd recognize anybody here. If you saw this picture hanging on a wall somewhere, you would probably just walk right past it without much of a thought. And I would too, except for one thing. The two adults in this picture are my grandparents. That's my dad's dad in the front, and dad's mom is back there on the porch. And I never got to meet either one of them. So this picture is fascinating to me. And it's very similar with Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. If this is just a list of names, we're going to skip right past it. However, if we get to know the people and the stories behind these names, it becomes fascinating. This genealogy tells us a lot about what God has been doing throughout history. And we learn how all of history centers on Jesus and how his story connects to our story. And I am so excited about what I get to share with you today. I learned so much while I was preparing for this week's message. And I was also really encouraged by what I found. And I'm praying that you will be encouraged too. So let's jump back into Matthew chapter 1. Now, like last week, I won't read the whole genealogy. Uh, we're going to zero in on one particular section. So here we go, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay, Jacob is the one we talked about last week. He was an Old Testament hero, but he also had some major flaws. He came from a dysfunctional family, and he was also pretty messed up himself. But when Jacob turned to God, he got a new name and a new identity and a new purpose. 
Last week we saw that your past does not define you when your identity is in Christ. Now today I want to jump down to verse 5. And we're going to take a journey that starts right here. So Matthew is still going through this list of names and he says, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. All right, let's stop right there. We've come to a name that is familiar to many of us, King David. And we do need to talk about David today, but first, I want to point out David's father, Jesse. And I don't want to go back and look at the details of Jesse's life. I want to look at the words of an old prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And many of Isaiah's prophecies were specifically about the coming of the Messiah. And it's very, very impressive. Hundreds of years after Isaiah died, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies in an amazing way. For the moment, though, I just want to read a verse where Isaiah specifically mentions Jesse. And I'll give you a heads up. It's a little strange. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So apparently, Jesse has a stump. Like I said, it's a little strange. But this is something we see a lot in the Old Testament prophets. They use a lot of poetic imagery. Isaiah is painting a picture here. And that one word, stump, is packed with meaning. So let's think about that. When you hear the word stump, what comes to mind? Well, you probably think of something like this. A stump is not a picture of life. A stump does not look festive. You don't decorate your house with a Christmas stump. In fact, a lot of us go out of our way to remove a stump. There's a whole business that's based on stump removal. But now, let's take a second and think about this from the perspective of a tree. Again, I know this is a little weird, but we're trying to understand what Isaiah is talking about here. So if you are a tree, what does it mean when you see a stump like this? Well, it means a tragedy has taken place because there used to be a tall living tree here, but it's been cut down. A stump is a reminder that something great has been lost. Now keep that picture in your mind because that's what Isaiah means when he talks about the stump of Jesse. Somewhere in Jesse's family tree, which is also the family tree of Jesus, there has been a tragedy. The stump of Jesse is a reminder of pain and loss. But this isn't just a Bible thing, right? Almost all of us know what it's like to go through pain and loss. We've experienced that on a personal level, but also on a national level. Let me throw out a couple of dates. September 11th, 2001. If you're over 25, do you remember where you were when you heard the news? Do you remember how it felt in that moment when our country was being attacked and people were dying? And do you also remember feeling anxiety about what was next? We were all wondering, what does this mean? Are we at war now? How's life going to change? What are we about to go through? And you know, in a time like that, those feelings are normal. Trials and tragedies often lead to uncertainty and anxiety. And 9-11 is one example, but we've seen this throughout history. Monday is the 79th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And most of us weren't born yet, but can you imagine how that felt? That attack brought us into World War II. 
And I know there were feelings of anger and patriotism and resolve in America, but there was also that uncertainty. What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen to my family? Trials and tragedies often lead to uncertainty and anxiety. I could also give you another date. How about the year 2020? We're living through that same kind of uncertainty, aren't we? And for some people, this year has brought tragedy. For all of us, this year has brought trials. And we have been hearing some good news lately. We've got several vaccines on the way and maybe the end is in sight. But even with that good news, a lot of us are still asking, what's next? What's the future gonna be like when this pandemic is over? How will this country be different? How will this world be different? And I think about the children who are growing up in this crazy time. What will be the long-term effects on this generation of kids? Questions like that can cause some anxiety. We might even start to question God, like, where are you in all of this? How does this fit into your plan? But here's where I'm so excited to share from Scripture today. We're going to see a great truth. When trials lead us to uncertainty, Jesus can lead us to hope. Now, I realize that's exactly the kind of statement you would expect to hear in a sermon. And you might think, yeah, that sounds nice, but I doubt it's going to change how I feel right now. But I'm telling you, this is not just a saying. Jesus is real, and he gives us real hope. It's a hope that can change you no matter what the future brings. So let's dig a little deeper, starting with that verse that I read just a minute ago. The prophet Isaiah said, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So we have this image of a stump, which represents tragedy and death. But we also have this image of new growth. And this is very cool because it's so unexpected. When you come across a stump in the woods, you don't say to yourself, wow, I wonder what kind of tree is about to grow out of that stump. I wonder what kind of fruit that new tree is going to produce. That's not something you'd expect to see. But Isaiah says that is exactly what's going to happen. Now, obviously, we need a little context here. Uh, we need to know the backstory. When Isaiah talks about the stump, what tragic event is he referring to? And what does that new growth symbolize? Well, to answer those questions, we need to go back to the early days of the kingdom of Israel. The nation of Israel had been set apart by God to be his chosen people. And the first king of Israel was a man named Saul. The second king was David, the son of Jesse. Now, as a lot of you know, David is one of the most significant figures in Jewish history. And when David shows up in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, that's a very big deal. The Jewish people knew from Scripture that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. And you can read that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God goes to David and he says, I am going to raise up one of your offspring to be a great king except this king will reign not just for a few years, but for all eternity. And that's a great promise, but you might question why God chose David to receive that promise. As we said last week, Jacob was definitely a flawed hero, but David's flaws were even worse. David is primarily known for two events. Number one, he was the shepherd boy who took down a giant named Goliath. But the second event he's known for is not heroic at all. 
David is known for sleeping with another man's wife and then having that man killed. In fact, Matthew specifically mentions that notorious sin in his genealogy, right? We read this. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Solomon's mother was named Bathsheba, and Uriah was the husband who died to cover up David's sin. And when you think about it, this is kind of disturbing, isn't it? Matthew opens his biography of Jesus with this genealogy, and he does that to present Jesus' pedigree. But Matthew doesn't just mention David's name. He also brings up this shameful past. Why would he do that? And what kind of message does that send? Is it that God doesn't think of David's sin as a big deal? Well, that's not the case at all. If you know the story of David, you know that at first he does not repent of that sin. He takes Bathsheba as his wife, and he just tries to go on with his life. But then this prophet shows up, a guy named Nathan. And Nathan confronts David in a powerful way. Nathan gets David to understand that he is guilty of a great sin. And finally, David is full of remorse. And he feels like his whole life is pretty much a stump. He's living through a tragedy, but it's a tragedy of his own making. And he's got to be thinking, what can God do through me now? But then David goes to God with a broken heart, a repentant heart. And we saw last week that when we go to God with a heart that is truly broken and ready to surrender, he's always willing to receive us. God looks at the messes we've made and he says, watch me redeem this. Watch me bring new life out of this old stump. In David's case, God says, yes, your sin was reprehensible, but I can still bring something good out of this mess. That is the gracious, second-chance kind of God that we serve. And if you're facing a messy situation in your life, this is an important thing to remember. God has redeemed others, and He can also redeem you. That message is spelled out very clearly in Matthew's genealogy. And that's the first part of the backstory, but we're not done yet. David's story was a personal tragedy, but that's not what Isaiah is talking about when he mentions the stump of Jesse. Isaiah is referring to a national tragedy, something that impacts the entire nation of Israel. So here's a little more background. As I said earlier, David was the second king of Israel. And after David came his son Solomon, the third king. But after Solomon, there is a great political conflict. And the nation of Israel is actually split up into two parts. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And it's a chaotic time. And then God's people are led by a succession of kings who are mostly terrible. And the nation spirals down into rebellion and idolatry and injustice. They're basically asking God to punish them. And into the middle of this chaos comes our guy, Isaiah. God calls Isaiah to be a prophet, and he gives him a difficult task. God wants Isaiah to preach about the judgment and the downfall of Israel. Unfortunately, the hearts of the people are so proud, they don't pay attention to this prophet or his warnings. They just continue in their disobedience and their rebellion. And Isaiah goes to God and he says, Lord, how long will this go on? And God replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. 
If even a tenth of remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. So basically, God says judgment is coming. Israel is going to be chopped down like a tree and left like a stump in a field. And that stump will be scorched and burned and devastated. And then it actually happens. A hundred years after Isaiah, all of that devastation had come to pass. The northern kingdom of Israel was completely wiped out by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah was invaded by the Babylonians and Jerusalem was attacked. The temple was burned to the ground. Many people died and most of the survivors were carried off to Babylon to live in exile. And this is one of those moments we talked about, right? Trials and tragedies often lead to uncertainty and anxiety. And you can imagine the Jews in Babylon asking, what's next? Is there any hope for the future? Are all of the descendants of Abraham going to disappear completely? But here's the thing. With God, tragedy never gets the last word. What did we read at the end of that passage? Israel's stump will be a holy seed. And that's very interesting, isn't it? There's still hope. After everything that's been lost, God says, this stump is a holy seed. And God will send a new king who will rise up out of that devastation. This new king will be a small shoot that grows up out of the old stump of David's family. And that takes us back to the verse I read earlier, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. I want to read that verse again, but this time I'll keep reading. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious." So this branch grows out from the stump, from the root of Jesse, and it's clear that this branch is a person. He's a judge and a king, and God's spirit will empower him to rule and to bring peace. So what's happening here? Well, it's a lot like what God did with David. God says, yes, my people have sinned. Yes, the nation of Israel is only a stump of what it was, but watch me redeem this. Watch me bring new life to what was dead. 
And that's the mission of this person known as the branch. So who is Isaiah talking about there? At least talking about the Messiah, right? More specifically, he's talking about Jesus. And through Isaiah, God says that Jesus will bring about a time of peace and justice when the world is restored to God's original design. Now, you and I both know this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. Our world still has more than its share of injustice, and there is still a remarkable lack of peace. But rest assured, when Jesus, the Messiah, entered this world, he kicked off a sequence of events that continues today. And a time is coming when Isaiah's prophecy here will become a reality. However, from the time of Isaiah all the way down to the present day, we still have to deal with trials and tragedies. And every time we go through a season like that, we find it so easy to be anxious about the future. So what is going to help us here? Where's that real hope I was talking about earlier? Well, one of the best things we can do is go back and look at the track record that God has left behind. Over and over again, throughout history, God has proven himself to be faithful. We can see that very clearly in the life of Jesus. First, we can look at the Christmas story itself. When Jesus was born, it was the fulfillment of many, many prophecies, including Isaiah's prediction that this shoot would grow out of the stump of Jesse, David's family. And the first Christmas was a great day, right? Angels were singing about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But almost immediately, things took a dark turn. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary found themselves in one of those times of uncertainty. Herod, the king of the Jews, was a madman. He was a murderer. And Herod was threatened by this baby who was supposedly going to take his place as the new king. So he gave an order to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, age two and under. Herod's order was carried out. It was a horrific tragedy. So Joseph and Mary and Jesus found out about this ahead of time. They fled the country. They hunkered down in Egypt until they got a message from God that said, Herod is dead and it's now okay to return. Now, this part of the Christmas story shows up in Matthew's gospel. And I have to share something amazing that I learned this week. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, we learn that Joseph took Mary and Jesus and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And then Matthew says, So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, that statement is very interesting. Because if you go back through all the Old Testament prophets, not one of them specifically mentions the town of Nazareth. In fact, Nazareth didn't even exist in Old Testament times. So what prophecy is Matthew talking about here? Well, I learned this from Tim Mackey, who leads the Bible Project. Remember, Isaiah said, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots will come a branch bearing fruit. And we already established that Jesus is the branch, right? Well, check this out. The Hebrew name for the town where Jesus grew up is Nazareth. And in Greek, it's spelled Nazareth. Now, here's where it gets cool. The Hebrew name for branch is Nazareth. And in Greek, that would be Nazareth. So, Nazareth is literally Branchville, stick town. 
Jesus is the branch and he grows up in Sticktown. And that means Matthew was right. The prophets did say that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Not sir, branch, stick man. Jesus grew up in the sticks. This king came from a very unlikely place. And you see why that's important, right? God keeps his promises. The prophecies will be fulfilled, often in unexpected ways. So in that time of uncertainty and tragedy after the birth of Jesus, God knew what he was doing. His plan was coming together. The branch had arrived at just the right place and at just the right time. And when Jesus showed up in Nazareth, he was just a shoot, just a sprout coming up out of the stump. But then years passed. Jesus grew up. And the people who had been waiting for the Messiah started to get very hopeful. When Jesus began his ministry, people heard him teach in a way they had never heard before. They saw miracles of healing. They saw Jesus feeding the masses. Finally, here was someone who would confront everything that was wrong and make it right. But then, once again, the darkness pushed back against the light. Jesus was crucified. And his followers were in shock. Their worst fears were realized. It was another example of the pattern we've been talking about. Trials and tragedies led to feelings of uncertainty and anxiety. After the crucifixion, the disciples were huddled up in a locked room. They were terrified. They were asking, what's next? Are we about to die? Where is God? How did he let this happen? We were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, keep that moment in your mind, and let's think about our own lives. We often have this assumption that when we surrender our lives to God, things should get better from there. But what if you surrender to God and things actually get worse? We might get disappointed or disillusioned or angry. We might ask, God, what are you doing here? But this is the point when it's so important to look at God's track record How many times in history has God looked at a stump and said, yeah, that's not the end of the story. He always has a plan. He always knows what's next. And the best place to see that pattern play out is right after the crucifixion of Jesus. There's no question that his death was a tragedy. His disciples, his friends, they were stabbed with grief and shock and fear. But then there was that beautiful, amazing moment. Somehow, Jesus bypassed those locked doors and he appeared in that room with the disciples. And what did he say to them? John chapter 20, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Suddenly, out of the blue, where there had been death, there was life. And where there had been fear and terror, there was peace. Where there had been grief, there was joy. The only thing that keeps the story of Jesus from being a tragedy is the resurrection. And the only thing that will keep your story from being a tragedy is the resurrection. And if you belong to Jesus, there is always reason for hope. Even in the midst of trials or tragedy or total chaos, You can look forward to your own resurrection. You know, some of us carry around a fear about the future almost every day. It's always in the background. It's always haunting you like, what's next? You're worried about your career, 
your finances, your relationships, your health, your kids. But when life feels uncertain or scary, we can trust in the branch that grew out of the stump. If you belong to Jesus, the stump is not the last word. The sin and the evil and the pain of this world will not get the last word. Right now I'm reading a powerful book. It's called The Hiding Place. It was written by a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Corey grew up in Holland in the early 1900s, and her life was not very remarkable until the Nazis invaded her country. Corey and her family had a deep faith in Jesus, and their faith led them to help many Jews escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust. Unfortunately, her family was caught and sent to a concentration camp. Corey's book describes the horror of that experience. And you can imagine someone in her position really struggling with her faith. But I want to read you a great quote from Corey. She said, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. So many times in life, that's where we find ourselves. We're in a tunnel and the future is uncertain. But listen, God is that engineer. We can trust him. Look at his track record. Christmas is a promise that was fulfilled. God has kept his promises in the past and he'll do it again. If you've given your life to Jesus, hold on to those promises. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I pray that you'll do that. Before I close here, I wanna give you a moment to pray. Ask God to give you peace and hope. Let him know that you're gonna put your trust in him maybe for the first time. So take a moment to pray yourself, and then I'll close. Lord, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being who you are, that you are faithful and trustworthy and good and holy. Lord, I thank you for the hope that is available because of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will give us that hope today, that we will walk through the rest of this week and the rest of our lives holding on to the hope that only comes from you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.